You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your home, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is episode six. And today I want to share a lovely conversation I had with Rachel Rainbolt. Uh, Rachel is the author of many books around sage parenting and her website is actually Sage Parenting. And Rachel and I go back quite a few years when actually I was just starting out in my business um, in this the parenting field and, and child development. And so I was networking and going to different uh, events around town here in San Diego. And I must say San Diego has a wonderful uh, natural birthing community and very supportive and such. And so there's always events being organized, whether it's by the doulas or the hypnobirthing community and such. And that's where we originally met. She was then doing some infant parent and infant classes and specifically infant massage. And we connected then, but kind of lost touch. I have been following each other uh, on the social medias. She has since moved away as is up in uh, Washington state with her three children. So her family has also grown since we last um, spoke in, in, in person. And so today I invited her on uh, to just share what she has been doing. And we just had this delightful conversation around gentle parenting, natural homeschooling, and simple living. And I think you are going to really relish this conversation. And I'm hoping that it will give you that boost of encouragement that you deserve to really own the way that you want to parent. And uh so have a listen and let me know how you like it. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Pennell, and today I have a guest, Rachel Rainbolt. And Rachel is calling in from Washington State and has just returned from a lovely adventure in Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken, right? <laughs> yes, it was wonderful, though it is also wonderful to be home. I bet. it. It's always good to be back in our routines, even if we are in paradise for a few days, but it's true. It's always nice to be home. Yes, so, I had this feeling that I, that Hawaii was, was definitely paradise and I loved it, but I was, I was also, I also had in the back of my mind that my home feels like paradise to me too. Mm, and so yes. I love to travel, but I also love to have some roots. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you for making the time to be here with us today. Thanks for and, having me. Yeah. And to just get us going, I would love to know from my guest how you define the art of parenting. Mm, okay. So 
I knew you were going to ask this question. I have to say of, of all the questions that I saw coming, this one took me the most time to think mm-hmm. about. I really had mm-hmm. to ponder it. I think it's living a mindful life in peaceful connection with children. Now, mm. a lot of people might notice that there is not a component of that that leans on like direct instruction. Um, and after so many years of working with so many families and and living with my own three humans, um, I really do feel like this covers it. Like most of the work is living a mindful life, like working on myself and creating the life that I want to live while in peaceful connection with children. So sometimes when you are working and living in peaceful connection with another human being, there is collaboration in that and there is feedback in that and guidance going both directions. Um, So I do feel like those things cover my experience of what the art of parenting is. Beautiful. I like that. I like that. Mindful, mindful and peaceful, definitely. (laughs) Uh, So before we get a little too involved in our conversation, I would love if you could share with our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you came to do the work that you do today with parents. Sure. So I have always been passionate about helping children and families. I started off working in preschools and learned everything I could through a stack of degrees in psychology and family therapy and brought my own three children into the world and read everything I could get my hands on. And then I started my own business where I do online coaching and writing books and I produce a a podcast and I teach classes Um, all revolving around gentle parenting, natural homeschooling, and simple living. Beautiful. And and how did you come to realize that this was the work that needed to come through you? Mm, I think I've always felt so passionately called to working with children. I've always felt so connected with them. And for those of us who grow up and sort of under the mainstream parenting paradigm and in traditional schooling, as an educator really looks like the only way that you can be involved with children. Cause Mm -hmm. from my Mm -hmm. perspective, I really exclusively existed within that world. So that's where I kind of started out, um, through like the preschool arena. And as I started moving deeper and deeper into that world, I really started seeing that this was not the, um, the like lens or the layer in which I could make the biggest impact. Um, And so I started expanding that lens to include the whole family system. And then the more I leaned into that, looking at the system as a whole and really leaning into the parents and the parenting side of things, the the more profound um, effect for good I saw in the children. Mm-hmm. And you, when you talk about uh, natural homeschooling, can you elaborate a little bit more on what that, what is, what you define that? Yeah, I think a good way of explaining it is that, like, if you were dropped on a deserted island, what you would find yourself doing would be natural homeschooling. Uh-huh. Um, so it's sort of a clearing away all of the educational baggage that we have, and a lot of the shoulds and the should nots, and leaning more into the trust side of things. And of course, being someone who is kind of a 
parenting and child development junkie, I can dive deep into all of the research and the evidence that we have about how the minds of children actually work and develop and grow. But really when it comes down to it, it's really my role as a mother that, that where my children show me how so much of this, um, so much of their learning can be trusted. You know, like children, we just talk with them and they learn how to talk and right. we just bring them along with us in our life, in the real world, and they learn how to walk. And, and then suddenly there's this notion that when they turn like four or five, all of a sudden living life, a rich life together in the real world with fulfilling experiences, we say that's no longer how they work. Um, from about five to 18. And then once you're an adult, that is again how you learn. Right, right? Think right. about the ways that you learn the things that you're interested in. It mm -hmm. tends to be self-directed and you and you go through a doorway of your interests and you honor your natural learning style, right? Like my husband loves to listen to audiobooks and I love to read ebooks. Like one is not more valid than the other. So I think the natural homeschooling piece is really just about leaning into trust um, and honoring the nature of children, like the way that they have evolved to learn. And and it's true. I mean, we are all born with this, you know, very strong need to learn and to, like I say, to adapt to our time, place, and culture. So it's yes. true that when we trust that essence in children, that that they have that they're 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 eager to learn, they're explorers and everything, and it's just us guiding them to or letting them guide us as to what it is they want to to learn um yes so how do you and and how old are your children if i may ask they are 7 11 and 14 okay and so um how do you how do you navigate like the you know, I mean, I would assume that in the natural homeschooling, as you say, there is no curriculum, like life is the curriculum. Well, it's, it's self-directed. So, so like, for example, my, um, my 14 year old wants to start at 16 in a running start program we have here where the state pays for the first two years of community college. And then at the end you have a high school diploma and an associate degree. Um, she, and she, so she and I sat down and she wanted to kind of scaffold up her academic confidence to where she would feel like she would be totally ready to enter that experience without any anxiety around it. And so we just sat down together and collaborated around like, oh, I did some research and collaborated around what things we thought she might want to dedicate some energy and some time um, toward working on in order to feel confident and competent when that date comes. And so, for example, she does Khan Academy. Um, it's like this free online website. And in there, she's doing pre-algebra. Um, so there are, it's not that, I mean, a lot of people call natural homeschooling unschooling, and it's not that we, um, would never use a curriculum, but it's that the learning is self-directed and it has context based on their interests and their real life. So if a curriculum feels helpful to a child at any particular time, just like to an adult, like if, if there's something I want to learn, if I want to learn guitar and YouTube videos aren't doing it for me and I want to buy a book that has a curriculum in it, I, I would totally do that. I wouldn't not do it just because it's a curriculum. So sometimes there are curricula involved in what we do, but it's not um, adult imposed based on 
um, sort of an arbitrarily generated timeline, if that makes sense. It does. It does. It's just I'm just trying to like get my head around, you know, the, the whole idea of if if a child does want to go to college and such and your mm-hmm. older daughter sounds like that's what she wants to do so she's you know motivated and and doing what she needs to do to get into that program um i just i guess i'm just wondering like how the how you deal maybe with the society around you that is tends to be more traditional school and that there is this, you know, Mm -hmm. very specific sequence that you go through. I mean, I see it with, you know, my two children that are, they're, they're both off to college right now, but the way they got there was very different, I think, than the norm. Um, And, you know, people often question that. So what do you say to those who question your way or who might give you a hard time? Do you ever feel like you're doing this parenting thing alone, tired of searching the web for answers to all your parenting questions? Well, I've got you covered. You and I know it does take a village to raise a child, and I'd like to invite you to yours. Be the calm, confident, and peaceful parent you want to be with the support of my parenting membership community. Get all the support you deserve and create the family and home you've been dreaming of. In my parenting community, I share all the tools and strategies I've acquired over my many years of mentoring and helping families find their peace of mind and enjoy a stress-free family life. I've created this community for you to be the parent you want to be. Let go of the stress and overwhelm today and enjoy your parenting journey with your beautiful children. You both deserve it. In this community, you will find video tutorials that answer your parenting concerns and teach you how to support your child's healthy development, monthly group coaching calls with me and all the other supportive members where I personally answer all your burning parenting questions, my parenting toolkit, which is full of resources that I've created over my many years of mentoring and speaking to parents and professionals worldwide. And what I love most about my parenting membership community is the amazing supportive village you can lean on. You and I know parenting was never meant to be done alone. So come meet your tribe in the supportive and encouraging village of like-minded parents. It's open 24 hours 7 just for you. Visit voilamontessori.com slash membership for more information and come join me today to become the parent you know you are meant to be. I think you're asking such really great questions. First of all, let me just say, I think that, you know, for, I don't get questioned a whole lot um, in my life because Like my husband and I both have graduate degrees because of what I do for a living, because of the books that I publish and Mm -hmm, the body mm -hmm. of work that I put out there, that tends to give me credibility in people's eyes. Right. But the vast majority of people in my position are getting a whole lot of fear-based, you know, criticism and judgment Mm -hmm. and negativity. And I will say that though all of my work has been very... Uh, meaningful for me. It's it really is my life and my relationship with my kids that makes me enough. Because I am their parent, I am 
enough. And the more I lean into that, the more they show me that they are getting everything they need. For example, all three of my kids can read. They were never sat down and forced to do workbooks with like rote phonics or, or anything like that. All three of them write and read and love to read. And whenever they have a, a need for a skill through an, the doorway of an interest that they have, they grow into that area. And I think the fear for a lot of people is like, well, if you don't force them to learn all of these things now, then they won't have everything that they need. But the reality is that using that approach, like I don't remember probably 98% of what I <laughs> of what I studied in school that had the things that had no meaning to me. Right, right. We we remember the things that have context. Knowledge is not like a file cabinet. It's actually like a web of understanding and it has to connect to something in order to get saved to that permanent part of the brain. And there's a lot of research that supports this. For example, it takes five years to teach, well, six years if you can't kindergarten to teach elementary math. Um, if you wait until a child is a teenager, they can learn all of that math in two weeks. Oh, wow. So- yeah. I mean, it's really about like, as you have a need to learn things, you can always learn them. Right. Right. Fascinating. Fascinating. Cause I come from a, a little bit of a different, um, how do you say experience? Because I was in a Montessori classroom for many years uh -huh. with much younger children. And there it's more about, you know, definitely following their interest. And we really you know, present whatever material is needed to to really nurture that interest and whatever skill they want to master. But I was actually very impressed with how well and easily they learn math before six. So that's interesting yes. that you you say that, but it's probably because it wasn't that traditional, you know, uh, just memorizing and, and doing the worksheets and everything. It's it's because it was out of interest and it was very much about concrete material and manipulatives and such. Absolutely. And I think that it, my work has a lot of Montessori influence for sure. And a big part of that is the environment. Yes. Like I, I love how Montessori embraces the environment. And that's definitely a big part of like the coaching work that I do with families and the things that I write about in my books and the things I talk about on the Sage Family Podcast too, because that really is a powerful um, way that I contribute to what like ideas I expose them to and what materials I give them to work with. And I try to base that on their, their challenges and interests and needs and strengths and all of that. But the environment definitely is a big, a big part of that, like learning story, especially for homeschoolers. Mm -hmm. And so that's a perfect segue into what you were saying that you're also work with is this simple living. So is simple living about the environment or is it more than that? What? It, it, that's a big part of mm -hmm. it. And it's more than that. Mm -hmm. So it's about simplifying the home environment for sure. It's also about simplifying your time, mm. um, about simplifying finances, simplifying relationships. Um, so many problems that I see from parents. Like when, when a family comes to me for coaching, 
some of the first things we do are like clear out their home environment. I have them send me pictures and we cut the things in the space like in half. Mm. Um, they send me their calendar and we cut their commitments in half. A lot of people say like, oh, there's nothing I can remove from the calendar. And I just want to empower families to know that like your life is your own and these choices are all of yours to make and nothing is beyond your reach. Um, everything is up for grabs. Um, and then like your your bank account, like really what you're spending money on and what what's in your bank account and what's in your calendar shows you what your values are, what your lived values are. So you might say my values are experiences and time with the people I care about. And then you look at your calendar and your bank account and your money and your time are not going to those things. Mm. Um, so really helping families align their practical reality with their intentionally chosen values. Um, that to me is really the simple, simple living piece. That is beautiful, beautiful. And, and just so important. Uh, that whole calendar piece to me is so important because I remember, and, and I, and I say this to parent, like when you have young children, you're invited to birthday parties, like practically every weekend. <laughs> And honestly, I am that mom that never went to them because it mm -hmm. just was not a priority for me. And I did not feel that, you know, it was time well spent. And and I don't think that I harmed my children in any way by not, you know, by not going. Uh, yes, that's such a great example. <laughs> we do so much out of a perceived obligation. Yes, yeah. We feel like we are obligated to do, to buy so many things and to spend time doing so much things. And I would love for people to just throw that out the window. <laughs> you are not obligated to do anything. Like wipe the slate completely clean, start at zero. Now, what one thing do you want to bring into this calendar, into this bank account, into your budget, into your relationship? What one person, if you wiped all the people away, what, what's the, who's the first person you would want to add back mm -hmm, in? So just mm -hmm. kind of approaching it like that puts you in a really empowered position where you're, you're adding elements to your life with the greatest of intention. Yeah. It's funny. It sounds, it reminded me of the con Mary way of, you know, decluttering <laughs> yes. where she has us take everything off the shelf and only put back what brings joy. And it's yes. true. I mean, it, that should be the same for, you know, to me, it's just about like checking in with yourself. Like, is this is this important? Like, is this mm -hmm. worth my time? Is this something that I really want to spend my energy on? Uh, is this adding to our peace and joy? And is this helping us to exactly, be our best selves? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So you say that you, you, you read a lot and do a lot of research and everything. Are there any revelations that you've had recently in your exploration around parenting and, and child development that you have found most helpful to share with parents or maybe as a parent educator? I think probably the biggest one that I see over and over is that your child is not the problem. Your expectations are the problem. Um, I've seen it in institutional settings, in individual families. Whenever we are experiencing something sticky, something that doesn't feel good for us, um, we tend to identify the child as the problem. And the child is never <laughs> the 
the problem. I mean, I'm, I'm open-minded. Like I'm still waiting to see a case of this, but after working with thousands of families, I've just never seen a case where that, a situation where that was the case. It's always inappropriate expectations um, that are actually causing the problem. So if your child is a high energy child, a gross motor child, and you are expecting them to sit still and quiet indoors for six hours a day, it's it's the expectation that's the problem. So the child is not deficient or broken. Um, the environment is not suited to their natural way of being. So it's really a lot about shifting those expectations. And you can shift the environment and your relationship and your approach and your schedule. And you can shift all of these things in a way that that respects and honors your child's natural way of being. And then that gets you guys both on the same side. Then you're on the same team. Then you can access connection and collaboration and you're working together to help your child to be their best selves and to help your family function as well as it can function. And it seems like such a small thing to shift your expectations, but I find that that's really like, that's the essential first step. That is huge. I mean, that is, that is everything, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's true. When, when I talk to parents about the, the idea of just observing our children for who they are and and what they're doing without those expectations, without, you know, without oftentimes the comparison. I get parents saying, oh, but, you know, I've, I've researched that children this age should be doing this. And it's like, no, this is your child. This is, this is a (laughs) unique human being. There is no comparison, Yes, you know, yes, love the child you have, not the child you imagined. Mm. So true. So true. Uh, Tell me if, I mean, if you don't mind sharing more personal, how were you raised? Like what kind of parenting do you remember uh, receiving? I was definitely not raised within a gentle parenting paradigm. (laughs) Um, Lots of top-down control. Um, I was in like before school care, school, after school care, walked home, let myself in, was home alone. Um, lots of extracurriculars, um, lots of uh, consequences, which I put in quotes because my parents um, were really forward thinking for their time. And they, like my mother and my father both committed that they would never hit me, which Mm -hmm. at the time people thought they were crazy. (laughs) And I mean, so I'm totally not hating on my parents. Like they you know, they did the best they could with what they had. And um, they did, from their perspective, make a lot of really good strides in sort of the direction of gentle parenting, but definitely lots of control, lots of rewards and punishments. Um, and so I experienced firsthand um how those things really didn't serve me very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And you think, and you're, you're, I'm assuming that that is also why you went towards that gentle parenting and wanting to give that to your children. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, like a lot of people say, will say things like, well, I was spanked and I turned out great. Or mm, <laughs> like, no, I actually, no. I never, I was a really good kid. Like I, I didn't get in trouble. I was, so it's not like, like I'm a cautionary tale of everything that can go wrong under that parenting paradigm. I just experienced that it didn't feel good. Um, and I think really all of us who were raised that way can 
can that that resonates i mean you you can say like oh well this is how everyone does it and so this is what i'm going to do but then when you when you really get into like okay close your eyes and and imagine that you're that small child again and you're sitting there and and your mother is doing xyz what does it feel like like what is your body doing how is your heart feeling what thoughts are going through your mind and it's never like oh, I'm so grateful that my mom loves me so much and now I've learned something so that I can do something better. Like that's never what's happening inside right, of you right, right. <laughs> in those moments. And so I think I just walked out of my childhood with that, like, that sense, but not really having language for it. And then as I started to work with kids, I just saw very, learned very quickly that it's ineffective. And I think that's the doorway that I tend to walk through most, I would say, with fathers, because I work with the whole family. Um, It's not so much from like a morality or an ethical standpoint, which I do believe that it's ethically and morally right to treat, to respect children as human beings. But really, we just set that all aside and just come through the doorway of effectiveness. It is Mm. so much more effective. And there's some really great research, like Ross Green has some great stuff um on when you meet kids and 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 join with them in collaboration that is so much more effective than coming at them from a top-down position of authority and implementing tools based in control like rewards and punishments and things it just does not work anywhere near as well right and and you know to to your point like when you stop to really feel even imagine today somebody treating you the way we tend to treat children, you know, yes. that like you would never talk to uh, an adult or a coworker or, or, or your husband the way sometimes we hear people talk to children, you know. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. And, and to me, that has always been kind of the the phrase that I've had is, you know, that this, these are adults in the making, like we need to be speaking to them as, as any, any adult that we respect. There's just, there's no, you know, this, this notion that because they're smaller, they, they don't deserve that respect just flabbergasts me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Would you be okay with your child saying that to you? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's exactly what happens. They, however you treat them, is how they will treat you, and it's also how they will treat the, their siblings. Mm. Um, so anytime you're feeling disrespected, the first thing you need to do is take a look at how respectfully or disrespectfully you are communicating and approaching your child. Yes, yes, beautiful. And and just on that same vein. What would be some something else that you feel or that you see parents kind of unknowingly hinder their children's natural development? Um, by getting in the way with the best of intentions. <laughs> um, just really when you can trust in your children and, and let them lead and live in the world, um, they will thrive. So uh, just so much of the time, the problem is your expectations and what follows from inappropriate expectations are um, attempted solutions. Right. (laughs) And so often the problem that hinders children's natural development is your attempted solutions. Um, So for example, with my second child, there was um, a point at which we were involved in this homeschool charter and the teacher we met with once a month really wanted me to hammer in these, um, this like reading program with him. 
And every time I sat down to do it, there was conflict and he didn't want to touch a book for weeks. And and I, it would seem like he would lose ground on reading. And then when I would sit back and just like, he would just observe me reading and loving reading. And we would read books together each night, like big chapter books and, and you know, just loving generally reading. And, and the way literacy is just woven throughout everyday life. I mean, we go to a restaurant and you'd pick up the menu and want to order. And in video games, they give instructions and he wants to text with his friends. And all of those wonderful things were happening. And then when I attempted like this solution based on these inappropriate expectations, all of the, this beautiful natural development, just like the, the emergency break was thrown on it. Yeah. Because, because he could feel the, the adult leading and not, not Mm -hmm. him leading. So that's, Mm -hmm. yeah, very, very. And it felt like it was coming from a place of, um, through a doorway of there being a problem Mm. when there really wasn't (laughs) a problem and children's, I mean, they sense that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I do have a, a question that I wanted to ask, especially for all those who follow kind of your lead in, in you know, gentle parenting and, and such. What are kind of the, uh, I, I, I want to call it elevator pitch, like when we do marketing, but that they, these parents can have towards maybe their elders, their parents kind of, um, not maybe taking them seriously or maybe not respecting their way of parenting? Like, how can we change that um, in in a simple way to, to really empower the parents who are wanting to do things differently? Oh, that's such a great question. And I have this conversation with, I help a lot of families through this conversation because it's such a common struggle. It is. It I would is. say, yeah. The first thing to understand that I think is really important for empathy is that when you tell your parents or anyone else that you are going to do things differently, they hear, you think the way I did it was wrong. Right. Um, and so just to be aware of that in, in the language that we use and the way we approach it, when they are fighting against what we are doing, they're not actually fighting against what we're doing. What they're fighting against is th- they can't tolerate the discomfort of the possibility that there was a better way to do things than oh, the way they did yeah. them, which is hard. It is. I mean, that, it that's is. a hard yeah. thing to think about and to hold. And so if someone they love, like their own child, says, we're not going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do it this way, that's really hard for them. Um, so just to have that empathy to understand that that is what's happening within them when you're having these conversations. Um, and then I would say an important thing to help with that conversation is to focus on your child. So I might say something like, you know, we've reflected on, on all of our personal experiences and we did a lot of our own research into all the things that we've learned in the last couple decades. And most importantly, we really got to know this specific child. And so for this unique child, um, we've decided um, to try this and, and, and we've, or we've, we've done this and this is how we've seen it be beneficial for them. And then I would, I, so, so you're focusing on the fact that we're not saying that this is the wrong way to do it or that it was even the wrong thing to do with me. I'm just saying for this specific, unique individual child, this is what we believe to be in their best interest. That allows them to put down a lot of the defensiveness 
um, that comes along with with them feeling like you're saying the way they did it is wrong because um, we're just focusing on this individual child. And I would end with a boundary. <laughs> so I would say something like, you don't have to agree with it, but you do have to respect it. And this is what that would look like. Mm. Um, so then just get specific about what it would look like for them to respect it. Because respect can, can be a rather nebulous concept. Um, so just to say, you don't have to agree with it, but you do have to respect it. And this is what it would look like. So for for example, say you want to honor a natural um, literacy developmental path for your child. That might, the boundary you might put up, with, I would say, is you don't have to agree with it, but you do have to respect it. And what that would look like is you um, not quizzing them by asking them to read lines that you write down on a piece of paper when you come over to spend time with us as a family. Mm. Um, just give like a, a, a specific thing yeah. um, so that they understand what that boundary looks like. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I get a lot of this with families who are wanting to have a simple home or more minimalist home and the whole toys and, you know, that this <laughs> like excessive gadgets that are, that are gifted and, and it's just, it's hard. So the boundary is very important there. Yes, absolutely. Like I would say, you know, we, we have tried having more objects in our home and then we simplified and tried having less objects in our home. And these are the results that we found. Like our kids were overwhelmed less of the time. They were throwing things less of the time. They were able to engage in more focused play for longer periods of time and they were getting along better. So you don't have to agree with it, but we do ask you to respect it. And what that looks like is um, inviting them to join you in a special experience as a birthday gift. If you do give them a toy for their birthday, we will take it down to the local shelter and donate it. Mm, perfect. Yeah, you've said it clearly. You've set the boundaries. It's it's yes. there. Perfect. <laughs> and it's funny because this this when you were talking, it reminded me of how I approach parenting and just remembering like I'm going to do the very best I can. And I know that when my children are adults and have their children, they will tell me that I did it all wrong and that's okay. Right. (laughs) Because I think that that's part of our, our evolution. Like, you know, our parents did the best they could with the tools they had and we are, Mm -hmm. you know, we're just picking up where they left off and our children will do the same. So it's just, yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. And and you can also still make clear that you are open to their wisdom. Like of course. I, I often coach parents to say, like, I, I value your the experience and wisdom that you have to share with me. And so there is this this road for them to express their concern or to offer their guidance. But then you are all then you are also free to 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 say, I've I've considered it and this is where we've landed for now. Mm. Or I've considered it and this is the choice we've made, or this is the direction we've chosen to move into. So once they express it, then they have to respect that boundary that you have considered it and the issue is resolved. Mm. Beautiful. So just to to kind of wrap up, I have a more personal question. I mean, they've all been kind of personal, but um, (laughs) you said that your eldest was 14. So if you could Mm -hmm. imagine yourself uh, 15 years ago when you were expecting your eldest, what uh, kind of advice or, or wise words would you tell yourself today, knowing everything that you have learned since having your child? 
Mm, surrender. Surrender. <laughs> um, I like that. That would be that would be the word um, that would have saved me a lot of heartache had I discovered that sooner. Mm. Um, surrender to the connection with your child and your own intuition. Um, when that's the intention, everything else really does fall into place. So I started with a lot of stumbling mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. trying to do everything right and trying to make things look like I thought they were supposed to look and trying to control the things I was thought I was supposed to control. And then the moment I had that epiphany and, and felt that surrender, everything changed for us. And that really opened up this whole new path that I that I didn't know existed before and everything felt like it fell into alignment. So surrender, I guess, would be the yeah. advice. And that's beautiful because I'm hoping that this is heard from parents who are expecting so that they can <laughs> be, you know, for me, it's true. It's surrender and it's listening to our intuition and, and yes. all of that, because I think when we first start out where we're, we're, you know, we're afraid to make a mistake or we're afraid to, to mess mm-hmm. things up and, and, and there is no messing up and, and you know, so, yes. so yes, beautiful. Well, this has been delightful, Rachel. I'm so glad that you were able to come on and I would love for you to share how our listeners can continue following your work. Yes. So sageparenting.com, that's my website. That is the hub for All of the things that I put out in the world are through sageparenting.com. Okay, wonderful. And, uh, and that link will, uh, will be in the show notes for for everyone as well. So thank you so much, Rachel, for having been with us today and uh, beautiful, simple living and gentle parenting to you. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to continuing to chat and stay in touch over on Instagram. Definitely, definitely. And I and I know our history goes way back and it's it's nice to be reconnected. So thank you for being here. Agreed. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.